Welcome to the Tweet Couch Guitar Therapy Session, where we talk about all things guitar-related. My name is Dr. T, and I am not a licensed therapist, but I play one on a podcast. Today on the Tweed Couch, we are counseling on New Gear Day 2021 Gibson 1959 Les Paul reissue. I am beyond ecstatic. For years, I have wanted the much-hyped Gibson Les Paul 1959 reissue. Of course, there are many reasons to want this iconic, desirable, holy grail guitar. And honestly, there are even more reasons that held me back from purchasing, but today was my day. Now I get it. This guitar costs around $7,000 and is supposed to be a reissue of a guitar that back in 1959 cost $265 plus $42.50 for the faultless plush case. So basically, in total, that's $307.50 in today's dollars. But according to my inflation calculator, that's the equivalent of $2,781.54. But what makes an R9 different? How close is it to the real deal? Is it really worth about $7,000 US dollars? Did I actually pay that much? What compelled me to get an R9 right now? Did I have to sell gear to get it? Where did I buy it? And is it worth the hype? Well, we will discuss this and more on this session of The Tweed Couch. First of all, I am a fan of a Les Paul. I love the feel, the control layout, the symmetry of the headstock, the binding on the neck and body, the carve of the top, the sweet, sweet humbuckers. Of course, there is one thing that I am not a fan when it comes to the Gibson Les Paul, and that is usually its weight. And if you want to get one that's nice and light, you either have to go chambered or you have to go custom shop. Now, of course, there are many other guitars out there that claim to be reasonable substitutes. From the lawsuit Ibanez and Greco, to the sanctioned reissue of the Epiphone 59, and the recently released Joe Bonamassa Lazarus, to the highest quality PRS 594 or Calling CL Deluxe. But at the end of the day, and I hate to use these words, I really wanted authentic. For the record, I did go play these other guitars over the course of like five years in a journey wanting to get either an R8 or an R9 Gibson Les Paul. But I kept coming back to the one real simple fact, and that is that I desired for the real deal. I wanted that Gibson logo. I wanted that Gibson headstock. I wanted that Gibson feel, that history that nostalgia of a 1959 Les Paul. And the best we can get is a reissue, or at least on a teaching budget. And the fact is, the reasons are simple for me. I'm at the point in my life where I don't want all the guitars. Like, I'm not looking for all the guitars in the world. I just want the ones that truly inspire me. And I'm inspired by little details. I love a lived-in finish. I love a rolled neck. 
I love a flame and a quilt top. I think they're gorgeous, and they also make me want to pick it up and play it. Just looking at the guitar makes me want to touch it, and it's those things that make me go, yeah, get this thing. And you know what? Also, I'm inspired by the players who use them. Billy Gibbons, Jimmy Page, Eric Clapton, Dwayne Allman, Joe Perry, Slash, Paul McCartney. There is a list of players over a massive list of genres, and it could go on and on, and all of them, excellent players, all of them using a 1959 Les Paul. But I can't afford a Les Paul from 1959, so the reissue will work for me. But the question that still must be answered is why now? Why would I choose of all the time I've been searching for five years, why would I choose now to go get a 1959 Les Paul reissue? To be honest, a major catalyst is that Gibson just hiked their prices. A Gibson Les Paul R9 used to cost $6,500, which I will admit seems like a ridiculous price to begin with, but now it's $6,700. And yeah, that's just $200 more, but that's $200 I already did not want to spend. The second catalyst to purchasing right now was that I found a shop that was willing to not only sell for a substantial discount, but also not charge taxes because I'm out of state. So instead of tax on a $6,800 guitar, which would have been a guitar that was more than $7,400 out of pocket, I received a major discount that brought this new guitar down to used pricing. Now I realize that used pricing is still like a down payment on a house, but this guitar will never be worth less than what I already have paid into it. And for that reason, I went, this is an asset, this is worth it, this is something that I can have some fun with, scratch an itch, and if in a couple of years, five years, 10 years, it will never be worth less. And you know what? For that reason, I took the plunge and bought this gorgeous guitar. And speaking of which, that brings us to my third catalyst, the thing that probably drove me the most, which is, this is a gorgeous top, and it is a gorgeous finish. I mean, seriously, the finish is a slow iced tea, but there appears to be more red in it, which I love, and so maybe the pictures are misleading, maybe not, but, the quality of the bookmatched maple is also just as consistent as any PRS I've ever seen. And the stain on the back and the sides, they glow this red hue in the light that is amazing. Now, you may have noticed that I have not mentioned anything about playing the guitar. I'm talking about pictures. And that is because I have not touched it or heard it yet. But wait, do not stop listening. Yet, the guitar was purchased from a reputable dealer, and if I don't like it, I can always ask for a return. Also, much like the core model PRS guitars, the Gibson Custom Shops tend to be very consistent. So, with that said, and this is especially with reissues, with that said, I decided to order it. 
So since I have ordered it, the next question that probably needs to be answered is, when does it get here? And that answer is today. I received it today, but I have not opened it yet because I want to make sure that the guitar is acclimated to the temperature and humidity before opening it up. So I guess we will need to do an unboxing video on the Tweed Couch YouTube channel and also add some pictures to the Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. But I digress and I ask this question. What makes a 2021 Gibson Les Paul 1959 reissue any different from a 2021 Gibson Les Paul standard? I mean, after all, the real deal 59 sold for the equivalent of $2,800 by today's money. And if you really think about it, that is exactly what a 2021 standard Les Paul goes for today. So what makes an R9 cost that much more? Well, we will discuss that after a word from our sponsors. If you are looking for a way to help support the Tweed Couch and it costs no money to you, then check out our YouTube channel and become a subscriber. Also, you can tell someone about the podcast and share an episode with them. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. Are you looking for a party with a purpose? If you love music, family-friendly, and camping, then you need to come to LifeFest. In July of 2022, they will have two festivals once again, one at the Sunnyview Fairgrounds in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and the other at the Johnny Cash Hideaway Farm in Bonagua, Tennessee. I'll see you there. Let's hear from another sponsor. Since 2003, the Crestman Guitar Company has been repairing stringed instruments and building custom guitars and basses. In 2021, Kretzman started production of a solid body electric guitar with the goal of providing affordable, awesome looking and sounding guitars that anyone, student to expert, would be proud to play and own. Be sure to check them out at KretzmanGuitars.com. That's K-R-E-T-Z-M-A-N-N guitars.com okay when we left for our break the question was about why the les paul reissue 1959 cost so much more than a les paul standard and honestly i'm not sure why but i think if we look at the features we can probably figure it out so first in gibson's words they say Gibson Custom Shop's 1959 Les Paul Standard reissue is not just a tribute to the priceless original models. It's a clone of them. From laser scan dimensions to the chemically recreated plastics to the color matched shades of sunburst, every element has been rendered in unbelievable detail. It represents the culmination of decades of work by Custom Shop's expert team, a tireless quest to bring accuracy and authenticity to the hands of the fans. It's the definition of cool, and it's the best representation of the 1959 Les Paul standard since the Custom Shop began making historic reissues over 25 years ago. Okay, there is a lot to unpack there. Let's start with the first sentence. Gibson Custom Shop's 1959 Les Paul Standard reissue is not just a tribute to the priceless original models. It's a clone of them. 
Okay, a clone. I like that. I definitely cannot afford the real deal considering that they go for upwards of a quarter of a million dollars plus. So I'm good with that. All right, let's go to the next statement. From laser scan dimensions to the chemically recreated plastics to the color matched shades of sunburst, every element has been rendered in unbelievable detail. It represents the culmination of decades of work by Custom Shop's expert team, a tireless quest to bring accuracy and authenticity to the hands of the fans. All right, yeah, this would bring some extra cost. I mean, you've got laser scan dimensions. Well, yes, the dimensions, whatever, but a laser scanner is not cheap. Chemically recreated plastics. Okay, well, we recreate chemical plastics all the time, but if this is the best they've done so far, that means they continue to work on it. Culmination of decades of work from an expert team. Now, before anyone starts humming and hawing about whether or not those costs have been already recouped and whether or not the price tag fits the expert team, quote unquote, expert team's cost, I would like to just remind you that there is still all the things that are different from the way that they do their regular line of guitars. So they're trying to recreate something that you cannot get anymore unless you are making Bezos money or you happen to inherit the guitar. Laser scanning machines aren't cheap. Recreating of plastics is a special thing. And just because their team of experts only need a few days, weeks, or months to complete all or some of a guitar doesn't negate the fact that it's taken those people an entire lifetime to be able to do it this well and this quickly. So you are paying for their abilities as well. Okay, the last statement to unpack. It's the definition of cool, and it's the best representation of the 1959 Les Paul standard since the custom shop began making historic reissues over 25 years ago. Okay, this one's dumb. I'm not paying for the definition of cool. I, I got cool. I'm good on that. So based on their marketing statement alone, I do not think that there is any extra premium of $4,000 here. So it must be in the wood and the parts and the paint, right? Well, let's look at it. First, we'll go into the body shape. I mean, yes, it's a Les Paul body shape. That's not really a whole lot different. Maybe the carve is a little bit different. I'm not 100% sure because I don't have the guitar in hand yet. But what I do know is that every R9 I've ever played, I have actually noticed that the tailpiece can go all the way down to the body. And that's not something I always get to see. Most people have to like bring that all the way down and then top wrap the strings to make sure that they don't touch the ABR1 bridge as they go across. Well, with most R9s or R8s I've ever played, I've noticed that that tailpiece goes all the way down to the bottom and it, the break angle of the strings don't seem to go over and touch weirdly onto the ABR1 bridge. So maybe there's something with the body shape. I'm not 100% sure. As far as the top is concerned, it's a two-piece figured maple with hide glue fit. Now, currently, the LP standards also have a maple top, 
but many of them are not figured and they don't utilize the hide glue. This was kind of a thing in the 50s. I assume this is largely due to expense or availability of the material, but I'm really unsure about that. What I do know is that Gibson will use a tight bond now, which is a synthetic glue that is more regular in line and the hide glue is more historically accurate. By regular in line, I mean like regular in their line of products. Like they use tight bond on almost everything in the guitar, which historically they used hide glue. I also know that hide glue is reversible, but tight bond is not. Meaning that you could heat the glue if it was hide glue and you could reset wood back together and go, ah, that isn't right, or something's peeling off, or something isn't quite right, and you can reheat it, get the glue out of there, then re-glue and reset. And, and that's possible. But with tight bond, you can't do that. It's actually going to seep into the wood. So if you need to reset the the top or you need to reset the fretboard on the neck or something like that then you're trying to heat separate then you're going to have to sand down on both sides at least you know a 16th and and then re-glue which of course changes the dimensions and changes the shape of all these things okay let's go ahead and go to the back All right, so the back is a one-piece lightweight mahogany on the 59, where the standard is generally two, maybe three pieces that get glued together. And in my opinion, that is definitely more expensive. It is much cheaper to get a smaller plank of wood and glue that together to another one than it is to find one large plank that is just gorgeous, beautiful, and light. Let's talk about the binding. Binding one ply Royal Light on the R9. I'm guessing that's one of those plastics or something that that is what they used on the original 59. As far as the standard is concerned, it's whatever regular plastic that they've been using on their line for a very, very long time. Now, neither of these are weight relieved. Weight relief is something that they had done in the past. Right now, they're saying they're not really doing weight relief, or at least not in the standard um, line currently in 2021. The finish is a little bit different, though. The finish is a nitrocellulose lacquer VOS, which is a also a vintage patina. So it's vintage old stock with a little vintage patina on it. But the standard is this gloss nitrocellulose lacquer. So it's glossier, little harder, not as vintage. And this brings up an interesting point. Because I love nitro because it feels nice as you play. But there are a few issues that come with nitro. For example, the stickiness. Often a guitar with a fresh nitro is real sticky when you sweat. And that usually just happens until it gets worn in. My Strat had a nitro finish on it. I did not like it for a couple of months. And now, it's great. No problems whatsoever. My Les Paul Classic, it has nitro on it. And it didn't take long, but I just remember playing it and my forearm hurting after the first couple of shows going, man, what's happening? And what's happening is the friction 
between the stickiness of the finish and the skin of my forearm. I did have an LP standard once that I borrowed for a few months, and I never really could get past the stickiness on the neck. Because they, they put Natro in the neck as well, and, and you know, I'll be honest, it, it was not my cup of tea, and satin necks, that was better, I preferred that, and that was good, but most Nitro necks, glossy, sticky, didn't necessarily like that. And actually, that brings up something else that I have a beef with on Gibsons. And that beef is in their finish being staticky. I mean, I've owned multiple Gibson guitars. I still own nine. So I've owned multiple, and I currently have nine. And out of the nine Gibson guitars that I have, all but three have had a static issue when you rub up on it. and. Of the three, one was an acoustic guitar and one was a bass guitar. So this is obviously a flaw. And this is something that, side note, I have a fix for. And I know how to fix it. And I really hope that this R9 does not have it because I hate having to do this. But I do have a, I have a way of getting rid of the static and I will share that on maybe another podcast. Maybe that's a good one to do for another one for mods or, or fixes or something like that. But I digress. All of that is going to happen in another therapy session. As far as the neck is concerned, uh, they're both mahogany. Easy enough, but the profile is different. Authentic 59 medium C shape on the R9 where... Either you can get a vintage 50s or 60s on the standard. Now, I've played them all, and ultimately what I've noticed is that the 59 medium C on the R9 is chunkier, a lot chunkier than the standard. Now, the standard's really comfortable. I would suggest anyone who likes a big neck but not too big, the standard is probably right. But... I like it just a little bit chunkier, and so in which case, I think this will be great. This profile um, on the R9, you cannot get anywhere else, whereas the profile you get on the standard, you can get on a lot of these uh, 50s-style guitars, All right, and, or 60s if you want to get the 60s, which is thinner. Skill link, that's about the same on both, 24, 3-quarter inch, All right, normal Gibson. The fretboard material is a little different. Indian rosewood with hide glue fit. Well, the normal rosewood is going to have the tight bond. Now, as far as Indian rosewood is concerned, it's a little harder to come by. And actually, that species of wood, it could have some more like taxes along with it. So it may be a little more spendy, may have some extra taxes or embargoes, or whatever, I don't know, on getting that thing in. So that would make sense for a cost increase. So, okay, maybe the $4,000 might be in the woods. Okay, that extra premium, maybe it goes to that. It does have the same number of frets. It does have the same fretboard radius, 22 frets, 12-inch radius. But the frets are different. It's historic medium jumbo on the R9. Whereas it's medium jumbo on the standard. And I noticed this immediately when I started playing one. Okay, so I was in the store, I started playing, and I went, ooh, I noticed these frets are different. And it wasn't the height, 
It wasn't the width that was different. What was different was the roundness. It was smoother with that R9. Like, for some reason, the 1959 reissue had a smoother feel to it. And when you really inspect it, you notice that the crown that is on the fret of the 1959 reissue is actually rounder, whereas the the standard is almost like cut more like a trapezoid. I, I don't know how to put that, but it, it really is different feeling and it's different looking. So that that's one thing that I know is different about the, the fret. So if it takes more time to do that, that's where some of that expense comes from. The nut material is also different. It's actually nylon for the R9 and it's a graph tech for the standard. Now some hate it, but I love it. I have played a few guitars with nylon and some with GraphTech, and some with Bone, and they all have different strengths. And I'm happy to have the same material that you would find back in 59 on this. Actually, the only guitars I have right now that have a nylon nut, currently, the ones that I have is a 65 Gibson EBO bass, which I mentioned before, and a 65 Gibson LGO acoustic. Those have nylon nuts on them, and I really like them. I think they're fun. But I don't have any electric guitars that actually have a nylon nut on it. So I'm really excited to give that a shot. Now, the nut width is 1.69 inches on both these guitars. But at the end of the fretboard, you'll find that it's 2.24 inches on an R9, where it's 2.26 inches on a standard. And honestly, I don't think anybody would even notice if I hadn't actually mentioned it. So sorry for those of you who are OCD. Uh, as far as the inlays are concerned, it's cellulose nitrate trapezoid for the R9 and acrylic trapezoid for the standard. And honestly, there isn't much difference when you really look at it and definitely tonally you're not going to really notice a difference. So mostly what it is is that acrylic is more modern and safer, especially at the factory when you store it. And so that's the reason why they use that now instead of the cellulose nitrate. The next one that deals with the neck is probably the biggest controversy of all, and that is the long tenon joint. What I find so crazy about this is that the standard Les Paul what is on the production line right now does not have a long tenon joint. The Epiphones do not have a long tenon joint, but the 1959 Les Paul reissue by Gibson has this long tenon joint. And people go, ooh, this is the reason why Les Paul sounded amazing back in the day. But at the same time, there is actually an Epiphone the 59 reissue Epiphone that has the long tenon joint on it. And people go, yeah, but that's an Epiphone. So something that is all this tone, oh man, there's so much tone because of this, is not regarded an Epiphone. And actually a side note on that one, you think about the Firebird. I mean, the Firebird, it is neck through to the body one piece of wood 
like the headstock, the neck, the body, everything that really strings and pickups and the bridge touch is one piece of wood. There should be sustain for days spelled with a Z, but nobody looks at that and go, man, what a sustaining thing. Instead, they go, yeah, that's a firebird. But the long tenon, okay, let me explain what a tenon is before people go nuts going, what are you talking about, Dr. T? Well, this is what a long tenon is. Essentially, a tenon joint happens between two pieces of wood. In this case, it is the neck that meets up with the body. And the longer the tenon joint, the more wood that came from the neck meets up with the body and then gets glued together with this hide glue. So the idea is more sustain is possible, more resonance is possible, more interaction of whatever happens with the string and the bridge and the nut and all things that go on between the neck and the body is able to happen because of this long tenon joint. You know, I, I, don't, I don't disagree with it. Physics-wise, makes sense. Pixie-wise, makes sense, you know. So I'm, I'm not against it. I do think for the sake of sanity, we will move on to hardware. Okay, so with hardware, although the finishes are stated as the same, the look is different. Both have nickel, and it's their main metal, but there is an aluminum tailpiece, and I've actually felt a 1959 Gibson Les Paul Jr. tailpiece, which is essentially the same thing as the 1959 Gibson Les Paul standard tailpiece, and it was crazy light, and I was shocked that there was originally an, a, like a heavier tailpiece of aluminum on this Les Paul Jr. that they had modded, and I played it, and I went, man, that sounds really good. Like, everything about this sounds really good, and then I put the original light aluminum tailpiece on it, and sure enough, it sustained longer. It sounded like brighter and more acoustic in general. And I went, dang, that, that is something magical. That is something there. And so they have decided to put this light aluminum tailpiece on the 59, but they don't mention whether it's light or not for the standard. So there's a hardware thing. The pickguard on the R9 is another one of those special plastics. It's the laminated celluloid acetate butyrate while the uh the regular like gibson standard on the website it actually labels it as cream that's that's it i i, I don't know I, I we paid for the attention to detail people that's the reason why we got the r9 so maybe there's some extra cost in actually knowing what your plastic is made out of i don't know uh then there's the truss rod okay so as far as the truss rod is concerned, this is something that I think is a big deal. Authentic 1950s no tube truss rod on the R9, whereas the standard has a tube that goes around the truss rod. 
And why this makes a difference to me and why this is a big deal to me is the reason why they decided to put a tube around the truss rod was people would play the guitar and they would complain of a rattle of some sort inside the guitar. And what they found was it was the truss rod banging against the wood. Well, the way they decided to fix that was they put a tube around the truss rod and then put the rosewood on top of the the mahogany neck and went, there you go, it doesn't rattle. To me, it makes sense that if you made it poorly, it's going to rattle. If you made it well, it's not going to rattle. So the fact that the 59 reissue has no tube, much like the ones from the 50s and 60s, just leads me to believe they made this guitar better. Whereas the regular production line, they went, we might not make it better, but you know what? We got a tube on it, so nobody's going to notice that. That's putting a Band-Aid on a real problem. So, you know, that, that's the reason why I like that one. Now, as for the control knobs, gold butyrate top hat knobs on the R9, and on the website for Gibson, the standard actually just has gold top hat knobs with pointers, which I'm pretty positive that there is pointers on both. And for those that don't know what pointers are, they also call them thumb leaders because they're this little sharp piece of metal that sticks up underneath the knob so that you can figure out where it is that you actually are on the dial. So are you at 10? Are you at 6? Are you at 6.5? Are you at 3? You know, whatever it is on the volume and tone, I'm pretty positive it's on both guitars. But nevertheless, that's what it says. Just for the sake of time, I will just mention that there are all of these special plastics on the R9. Like the Catalan Amber switch tip, the cellulose acetate butyrate like switch washer and jack plate cover and the control covers are the black royal light. And all of those things are not on the standard, but what's on the standard is just plastics as well. So yes, there are little details. And once again, in the little details is a little more of a premium in price. But where I'm mostly interested is in the electronics. Like, for example, in the neck in the bridge pickup, on the R9, you have the custom bucker Alnico 3, while the standard has a burst bucker 1 in the neck and a burst bucker 2 in the bridge. Now, for the record, I actually have burst buckers in my Explorer. They are a burst bucker 2 in the neck and a burst bucker 3 in the bridge. Every time I play my Gibson Explorer out, I have someone complimenting on the tone largely because it is a tone monster like it just sounds amazing but what I love about this guitar is if I dial in the amp for the neck pickup it's not like middle position and the bridge pickup is useless they actually sound really good and the same thing goes for the bridge pickup if I dial in the amp for the bridge pickup and I use the middle position or the neck pickup it still sounds good and I can't say that about all my guitars so that's that's definitely something that I love about those burst buckers that I have, which is burst bucker two and three. But on the standard, it's burst bucker one and burst bucker two. So I don't really know what the difference is, but I would I would hope it's pretty nice. 
I also want to mention that the Custom Bucker 3 is unpotted, like it was back in the 50s. Unpotted, it means that it's missing a wax that goes around the bobbin, and that wax helps to guard out noise and interference from other things that might be around. And for the most part, I prefer unpotted whenever I'm playing, largely because I like how open it sounds. I like the little nuances that you can get with a, uh, a pickup like that. But at the same time, I only have a couple that are like that. Most of my guitars have potted. They have waxed pickups. They have that wax that goes around the bobbin. What this does is it allows it to stay controlled. So if you get too close to the amplifier, if you if you happen to to hit that note and it starts to bloom, it's not going to just turn to noise and weird feedback. So I see the merit for both. I don't have humbuckers currently that are unpotted. So I'm excited for this. Both guitars have two volumes and two tones, but on the R9, it says CTS 500K audio taper pots with paper and oil capacitors on the R9, whereas I believe everything is the same on the standard except that they use orange drops for their capacitors. And to be honest, if you never ever roll down the volume or the tone, you will likely never notice a difference between any of these caps or really the pots as long as they're around 500k but with that said it is it is told to me as well as what I've experienced when I've played them in a guitar store that when you turn down that volume pot or you turn down that tone pot you have an entire spectrum of tones that you can get out of it whereas I know in most of my Gibson guitars that I have right now you turn down past eight and it's done like you just can't get anything clear anymore if you turn the tone down past seven it's muddy and murky so that's definitely something that i will be checking when i check out this r9 well i guess the last things that i have to bring up is what comes with the guitar on the r9 you get that brown pink reissue five latch lifton case which is a really cool looking case it actually reminds me a ton of my dad's 1953 eb1 bass so he has the original gibson solid body bass and he still has the case it is in cruddy condition but he still has the case and it reminds me a lot of that when i look at it the standard gets its normal Gibson hard shell case, which I've got a few of those, and I think that they're great. I actually really like them, so no complaint there. I will say that the standard gets a whole accessory package, which includes the baby picture, strap, multi-tool, warranty card, whereas the Custom Shop R9 gets a certificate of authenticity a switch cover medallion, which I actually kind of love, and some random, this is why you bought this crap, hang tags and saying it's, ooh, bumblebee capacitors and vintage circuit and vintage strings and yada yada. And I'll be honest, I like a strap. I like a multi-tool. I mean, not for an extra $100, $200, but you know, I'd like it if it wasn't like government prices, you know, where a stapler costs like $1,300 because they're trying to quote unquote balance the budget at the Pentagon or something. You know, 
I, I like that stuff. I don't necessarily need it because I already have those kinds of things. And honestly, what are we really buying? We're buying the guitar. So I am super stoked. Well, with all that said, that probably brings us to a close because I am staring at this box right now going, I need to open this. And while I was doing this podcast and giving my initial reactions, this excitement for a new gear day, I actually got an email that swiped through from the people that I bought it from, which is Mark's Guitar Loft. Excellent website, excellent customer service from Mark Bishop. He is a trustworthy person. He will take pictures. He'll send it to you. And Mark actually just sent me an email when I asked him about acclimating the guitar to this climate. And he said, it's not extreme right now. Go open it. Open it right now. And that's exactly what I'm going to go do. Well, that concludes our time at the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session. If you like what you heard, please leave five stars and a review. Also, don't forget to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Tweed Couch. And remember, you are your greatest asset. 